Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. Right on. Well, you guys are in church on a Sunday morning. You should be proud of yourselves. Come on, give yourselves a pat on the back. Let's go. You made it to church. That's good. Your mother is proud of you. So am I. There we go. Come on, David. You follow like all kinds of good things today. Um, hey, so today we're kicking off a, a new collection of messages, and we're going to be sitting in the book of John. And... Um, we're going to start with what we call the, the seven signs of John, uh, or Jesus, they're in John. The book of John is my favorite book of the Bible. Uh, when I was 13, my favorite book of the Bible was Judges because it's full of violence and aggression. Um, and then I, then, then I grew up, and, and now I, I'm like trying to reconcile all of that. <laughs> like, I'm like, why does a 13-year-old love me like that? Um, he, here's the deal. So we're in John. John is a prolific writer in the New Testament. He, he writes uh, uh, the book of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, which are letters written to churches, and, and the book of Revelation. And uh, we can argue and debate about whether it was him or somebody from his community, whatever. Um, I, you could send me an email. And uh, I won't read it. Um, so uh, the book of John is really unique because John writes with an agenda. I love when somebody has an agenda that I know what it is. Um, the other gospels are great, but they're what we call synoptic gospels. So they give us a synopsis or an overarching picture of what Jesus' life was like. They tell the story of Jesus. The book of John does not give an overarching picture of Jesus. The book of John has an agenda. And the beautiful thing is we know what his agenda is because he's super open with it, super clear about what his agenda is. And it says, uh, well, it's, it's right here actually in the yellow. It says, that you may believe. The book of John is written so that you would believe. So John includes specific stories, uh, specific statements about Jesus, different accounts, so that you would believe in him. It, is, it builds an argument step-by-step uh, step to allow you to place your faith in Jesus. And uh, the first half of the book of John is what we call the book of signs. These are the, the seven signs of Jesus. And then the second half of the book is called the book of glory, or the book of passion. And essentially, this half of the book is the last week of Jesus' life as he is going to the cross. And um, so we're going to sit here. I love it. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. You ready? Yeah. Okay. All right, let's go. So I think a lot of us struggle with loneliness. It often surprises me how people that seem to have it all together, when you, when you get them 
alone and you're just having a heart-to-heart conversation, loneliness comes up. And it happens for men and women. I think all of us experience loneliness, but maybe I just because I'm a, I'm a dude, I, I, just, I just connect, like I, my heart breaks for men because when I talk to men, almost every man I know is lonely. And I don't know if it's society or the way we've, hey, Welcome back. Welcome back to church. Come on, baby. Uh, yes, we got it. Okay, I'm, I'm meeting somebody after church. Somebody brought their baby. Okay, so, so, um, totally, <laughs> look, a squirrel. Okay, but, but as, as a man, I really, I really resonate with other men that are lonely because I, I don't know if it's culture that makes it hard for men to connect with each other. I don't know if it's just the way we, 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 we were raised or whatever. It's really hard for men to break that loneliness thing. And women as well, but I think women um, maybe have a little less pride issues compared to men. And so they're usually willing to connect, in, in my experience. And so for me, it looks like, you know, you go to junior high and high school, you go through school and, and you make a close-knit group of friends, and perhaps you went on to college and you... Maybe you joined a sport or an activity or a, a fraternity or, or something like that, and, and you, you developed this tight-knit group of people, created community. And maybe for you, you didn't go to college. You went into the military, and you developed this, this tight group of people that you uh, invest your life into and that you would submit your life to. And, and then when you leave that environment and you go back into the regular world, just that closeness of relationships is gone. This is why often military men will struggle with this very issue. Just, I just miss the brothers. I just miss the camaraderie, the closeness. And we experience loneliness more often than we would like to admit. There's a guy named Christopher McCandles. He... He went by the name, he was a, a writer, um, and he went by the name Alexander Supertramp. He, he traveled the world uh, just as, a, as, as a, a bum, essentially, and eventually went to Alaska. There's a movie about him, but he eventually, in a book, went to Alaska and found a bus in the middle of the wilderness and uh, ate bad berries and, and died on the bus. In his writings, he says this, he says, Essentially, this is a bad quote, but he says that, that the pleasures of life are not really enjoyable unless they're shared with others. There, there's this, this part of us that, that desires deeply to share life with other people, to be seen, to be known, to be cried with, to be celebrated with, to be celebrated. But unfortunately, so much of life doesn't lend itself to that kind of stuff. And it makes it really hard. It makes it really hard to experience life alone. When God creates the world in Genesis chapter 1, he creates the sun and the moon and the stars for times and for seasons. He, he creates the waters and then he fills them with all sorts of living creatures. And then he creates dry ground and, and puts all kind of animals, and the Bible says, creepy, crawly things. I wish you wouldn't did that. <laughs> I don't like spiders. Uh, I like 
big things I can see. People say, you're from Alaska. You're scared of spiders? Yeah, if I can't see it from a quarter mile away and reload, uh, it's, it's a problem. But, but God, he creates all this stuff. And in the final act of his week of creation, he, he, bring, he recognizes everything's good, but there's one thing God recognizes is just not right. It's not good. And he says it like this. He says, it is not good for men to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. It's not good for us to work endless hours in an office somewhere and have no interaction with someone else. It's not good for us to push the people in our life away from us. It's just an observation God makes. And he takes his final act of creation and he, he creates a wedding. He pulls a man and a woman together and, and he makes a wedding. In fact, the Bible says Adam falls asleep. The Hebrew word there that's used there for sleep, it's used twice and it's not just sleeping like I'm taking a nap. It's more like a deep, dark, depressive sleep. So it's really like, yeah, Adam was so depressed. He fell asleep. Has anybody else up? Other than me, been there. Come on. Like, I'm the only one. Okay. He woke up at, you know what I'm saying? He woke up at 1130. He's like, oh, that's the kind of sleep he had. And God provides him with an answer to the loneliness he was experiencing. It's Eve. It's not good to be alone. I remember the Planet Earth series. Does anybody remember when Planet Earth DVDs came out? Okay, to my younger generation, DVD is like a... It's shiny. You can actually do your makeup in it, girls. You just hold it up. and. But um, it came out like this set. It was like a set of like 30 DVDs of planet earth and it was this this amazing voice that narrated all that was going on in nature and uh, it was amazing but anytime I watch one of those the, the predators always get the creature that is isolated from the herd yeah. it's the gazelle that's not with the herd that the lions get yeah. it's the caribou that gets separated from the rest of the caribou that the wolves catch it's not good to be alone it's, it's the man with too much time on his hands that gets caught in the traps of his mind. It's the woman that is not around other people that gets caught and there's traps. The enemy places traps in our life when we are alone. But together, they can fight off just about any foe. A single buffalo by itself can be taken down by lions. But with a herd that is paying attention to the one that's falling, that lion stands no chance. This is why as a church we do groups. This is why. Because it's not good to be alone. And, and as a pastor, I have people tell me, they say, Pastor, I've been coming for two years and I still don't know anybody. Nobody here is friendly. No, I don't think it's them that's not friendly. <laughs> oh, zing, 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 zing. <clears throat> I think, I think there's got to be this place in our lives where we just say, hey, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna get to know people. I'm, I'm not going to be alone. I remember when I first went to Bible school, I didn't have any friends. I didn't know anybody. I was in my room, and um, I was, I'm from Alaska. So one of the characteristics of Alaskans is Alaskans, this is going to sound terrible. They just think they're better than everybody else just because they're from Alaska. Um, so, uh, yeah, they, it's just part of it. And I, <laughs> the Lord healed me of that. 
But in my mind, I was thinking, all these kids from California at the school I'm going to, like, they're just, they're all absorbed in their worlds. They don't know what the real life, what real world's about. Like, this, where I was in my head, didn't have a single friend. I remember talking to my sister on the phone. I was like, I'm just really frustrated. I've been here for two weeks, don't know anybody, don't like anybody, have no friends. Common denominator, right? And my sister's like, I've got an idea. How about you leave your dorm room and go meet somebody? It's like, that's the dumbest idea. So I left my dorm room and I went out and I met somebody and I discovered there were amazing people there. And, and I was not inherently cool because I was from Alaska. Like my whole world just shattered. It's not good to be alone. It's not good to be alone. But the truth is, you just being alone doesn't mean you're alone in the wilderness. You don't have to be alone in the wilderness to really experience that sense of isolation. Being unseen is just as isolating. Being in a crowd this big but feeling unseen is, it's isolating. It's, it's when we are unseen that victimization happens in our life. It's, it's the child that somebody's not observing that, gets, that has, has predators looking at them. It's, it's the person that has kind of wandered away. They, they feel like no one sees me in my life. That's where the struggles happen in our life. And, and for you, it may not be that you're unseen. Maybe it is that you felt like you were seen, but you weren't accepted. Yeah. I, I, I was known, but I wasn't loved. I was seen, but I wasn't received. Uh, maybe, from you, maybe for you, it was apparent. You, you were seen by dad all right, but all you chased your whole life was for dad to simply say the words, I'm proud of you. Because it never happened, you just may not realize it, but you live with a baseline of rejection. Or, or, or maybe it was your mother. Maybe all you wanted to hear your mom say was, honey, you're beautiful. But because you never heard those words, there's always just been this sense of I'm distanced from what I want most in life. And, and when we are isolated by being unseen or isolated because of rejection in our life, we, we often try to numb that with addictions. We don't go looking for an addiction. Nobody does that. Nobody's like, I want to get stuck on something. But what we do is we say, I've got a pain inside that I, I want to solve. I need to numb the hurt that's in here. And so we find ourselves at the bottom of a bottle or at the bottle, bottom of a pill bottle. Whatever it may be, we find ourselves looking towards ways to get rid of it. Maybe one of the ways we become when we're isolated or alone is we become very defensive. Like nobody can input into your life without you throwing up defenses, every, like assuming that every word spoken is an attack. Has anyone ever been there? I've been defensive. I've been that way. The Bible tells us something about the enemy of your soul. He's not passive. It says this in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus says, I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. So, so there's two characters at play in your life. And, and, and this is not just some sort of literary tool. This is real life, what's actually going on in the world. There's an enemy of your soul that wants to steal, to kill, and destroy the good things of God in your life. And God wants you to have life and to have that life more abundantly. It's not good to be alone. 
So somebody right now is saying, I thought you said we're starting a collection on John. Correct. Here we go. Let's go. In the beginning of the book of Genesis, there are seven days of creation. And those seven days culminate in a grand wedding where God is uniting a man and a woman. In the book of John, it begins like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God. It starts at the beginning. Instead of giving a a purpose behind creation, that's what Genesis is doing. It's giving a purpose behind creation. It says the sun, moon, and stars were given so that we might have times and seasons. Right? Uh, It gives us purpose. John is giving us sort of the spiritual background of what's going on in the world and creation. And then it follows up with, in the first chapter, it begins, and and the next day, and the next day. And he starts giving accounts of Jesus interacting and meeting with his disciples. By the time we end the first chapter of John and we step into the second chapter, it says this. It says, the third day. What's going on is you can go back and count it on your own time. What's going on is it's paralleling Genesis 1, the days of creation God's created. And as Genesis 1 ends in a, a, a gathering of two people solving the issue of loneliness, John chapter 2 begins with the exact same thing. Because God recognizes that there's a deep need at the core of the human heart. It's the need for connection to other people. It says this in John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. I just want to stop and say this. We already know this is going to be an amazing story because it's a wedding. Like, the pressure of a wedding is so much. Like, Jesus is already stepping into pure chaos. <laughs> like, I've performed a lot of weddings, and so some of them were yours, right? So, so I, I know what it's like to be at a, anybody ever seen Bridezilla just going nuts? Like, ah, the whole world, like at a wedding. You want to see tears show up like a, an hour before a wedding. Like, that's when all hell is breaking loose. This is what Jesus is stepping into, If you don't believe in, like, demonic possession, go to a wedding. (laughs) Ah, What's wrong with her? Things aren't going right. You know, it's the wrong napkins. That's what's wrong. (laughs) And the Bible tells us that Jesus was also, verse 2 says, Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. Very interesting. Jesus has just met and gathered his disciples, and then they go on, and they're now at a wedding. And we could say, like, how, do, how did they all get gathered? I don't know, but I know this. At a wedding, when you look at the, the side that's all the bride's side of the wedding, it's packed with people. There's not a single chair left. There's just people everywhere to support the woman. You look on the man's side, there's like seven people. Because he's got to ask, like, who he's allowed to invite. Like, can I invite this friend? Nope. Can I invite this friend? Nope. Like, <laughs> so Jesus must have been acceptable. Like, he must have been a pretty cool guy. If they're like, hey, we don't really know you and your buddies yet, but come out to the wedding. Like, he must have been a fun person to be around. Jesus shows up at this wedding. He's not there to officiate the wedding, and he's certainly not there to officiate a funeral. He's not there for some sort of a drab moment. In fact, in their culture, a wedding was the highlight of the the village. The the wedding was the highlight of the community. Everybody would come to the wedding. Everybody would be a part of the wedding. And the wedding didn't look like our weddings. Our weddings are about a a 10-minute message from the pastor 
They kiss, they celebrate about two hours of pictures. Hey. And then like eating and maybe some dancing and that's it. And we want to be done by five o'clock. Their weddings lasted for seven days. Father of the bride. Can you, you know how hard it was to just pay for a two-hour wedding. Can you imagine paying for a seven-day wedding for the entire community? This is a big event. There's a lot going on. And it says this in verse 3. Jesus, they're all at this wedding. And it says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Can I tell you that there will always come a time in your life when you run out? If you haven't hit that place in life yet, just wait. There will come a season in your life when you run out of resources, when you run out of capacity, when you run out of emotional stability. There's going to come a moment when you run out of what you need. Just wait. Like There's going to be a time when you run out of peace in your life and you've had it up to here. There's going to come a time in your life when you've run out of clever answers to the solutions or clever clever answers and solutions to the problems of life. There's going to come a moment in your life when you need an answer that is beyond your experience or capacity. There's going to come a time in your life when you run out. And and the Bible tells us that Mary says they've run out of wine. They mean literal wine, but but also there is something behind the idea of wine that we have to understand. Biblically, the idea of wine has to do with joy. Joy. It has to do with people coming together, has to do with abundance, and it also has to do with the covenants of God. And and in this moment, Mary's saying they've run out of wine, but what she's really saying is something much deeper than they don't have any more Kool-Aid for everybody. What she's really saying is she's giving a commentary on the kind of people that Jesus' ministry will be surrounded with. It's people who have run out of wine. They've run out of joy. They've run out of connection. They feel disconnected from the covenants of God. Like they may have a form of godliness but not experience the power thereof. I'm just saying there are so many of us that maybe you've been involved in church. You've come to church. It's been your background. But the truth is if you were honest, if you were all alone and we talked, you would say, you know what, at the end of the day, I do all the Christian-y things. I say all the Christian-y things. I vote the way Christians are supposed to vote. And here's the deal. I have no joy. And could I tell you, it's not about the Christian-y things. It's not about the Christian-y voting. It's not about all of that. I'm saying there's, there's a lack of true joy. There's a lack of true wine. There's a lack of the covenant of God, even among God's people. Jesus says it this, like this later in John 15. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Can I tell you, like in this very first sign that Jesus is giving us in the book of John, it's to reveal his character. 
And it's about him showing that God's desire is that you would have joy in your life and connection in your life. Verse 4, Jesus responds to his mother. (laughs) I get a kick out of this. Jesus said to her, woman, (laughs) what does this have to do with me? Like, if I said that to my mom, I'm telling you, my dad would knock my head off. Like, he's like, don't talk to my wife like that. That's what, that's what my dad, anybody else, dad, you say that? Don't talk to my wife like that. That's, that's exactly, that's what my dad would do. I'm like, woman, what does this have to do with me? Well, here's the deal. Jesus isn't being rude. I, if, if I said, if I called my wife, I love my wife. If I said, woman, <laughs> but why does pastor have a black eye today? Because Sister Kim's ghetto. She, she, she calls it backwoods, but it's really South Sac is what it really is. Like, and and, and he, said, he says, what does this have to do with me? He's actually living by a fantastic principle that we could adopt in our lives. My brother-in-law gave this to me when I was about 18 years old. He said this, a lack of planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. Somebody, you need to write that down. That's what Jesus is saying. He's just, he's just implementing good, good life leadership here. He's like, you didn't plan? What does it have to do with me? My life and my agenda and my direction is set for another place. In fact, he says it like this. He says, don't you know that my hour has not yet come? He's referring directly to, in chapter 12, when he says, my hour has now come that I would be glorified. He's saying, the the glory of God that I am is not ready to be revealed like you, you have nothing to do with my plan. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I love I love this. She doesn't acknowledge his refusal. That's how, that's how, that's how, that's how what moms do. She's like, that's cute. Okay, do whatever he says. Like, mama Jesus is tough. That's all I'm saying. You, 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 you tell her no. She doesn't take no. Do whatever he, he says. And I don't know why Mary just knows that Jesus has an answer in this situation. Perhaps uh, as they were growing up, it was, it was like she would be like, hey, Jesus, like, go clean your room. And, and all, all the brothers and sisters would be cleaning the room, and Jesus would be like, boom. <laughs> Mom, it's not fair. Jesus cleaned his room. Like, I, I don't know. I, <clears throat> I, I, I can imagine, like, in this moment, like, there's been, there's been encounters with Mary and Jesus. Like, like he, he, there's these moments. Maybe, like, at some point, like, Mary was having a bad day, and, and, and Jesus was like, watch this trick. Water to wine, Mom. Boom. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm sorry. Sorry. But, but I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, like, there's, there's some sort of background here. I think it was probably more likely that when the Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom and knowledge and in stature with God and man, it means that there was something unique about him that he understood things, he put things together, he asked the right questions. He was a very wise person, even as a 12-year-old, the Bible tells us. So more than likely, his mom is just like, hey, this, this kid always comes up with a solution. Right, right. Yep. 
She tells him, do whatever he says. Earlier, Pastor Toby was talking about disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Let me tell you the heart of a disciple. Jesus says it like this. He says, the great commission of the church, the purpose of the church is teach them to obey all the things, to, to obey all of my commandments. The heart of a disciple is somebody that just does what he tells them to do. And we grow in knowledge, but it looks like us doing what he tells us to do. So he looks at them and, uh, and it says in verse 6, Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each one holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus says to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. There were six empty jars, and Jesus' answer isn't like, hey, how much money can we all put together to go buy some? He didn't say, does anybody know the number to St. Chapelle? He doesn't say, like, can we gather our resources? Does anybody, like, does, does anybody have a problem? Like, something's in the cooler in your basement. So, like, he didn't say that. What he said was, he looked around, and he looked for what was empty, he looked for what was not being used. And he said, let's just fill what's not being used with something common. I think so often we expect God to do these big miraculous things. And most of the time what God is looking for is just what's empty in our lives. He's looking for what's neglected, for what's not being used. Like, 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 I don't know if God could use me. I don't have the intellect. I'm telling you, you're exactly who God wants to use because it's not the wisdom of man that God uses to confound the wise of this world. It's people that, that are just willing to be available. So, so what is it in your life that is empty? Not what is falling short. What's, what's falling short, we see that. But my second question is, what is it in your life that, that feels empty, neglected, left behind? Because God often calls us to pour into the areas of our life that we view as weaknesses. Through our lens, it looks like weakness, but to the eyes of God, it looks like the glory of God on the edge of being revealed. I'm saying, what is it in your life that, that it may not seem strong, it may not seem like a strength, but through your weaknesses, he is made strong? Like, like, what is it? Maybe I feel a little insecure when I talk to people, but I'm telling you, it may be through that very insecurity submitted to God that he will reveal is glory in your life. What is, what is that area of your life that seems empty or maybe it's got cobwebs growing in it because it's been neglected? It's in that place that the glory of God will be revealed in your life. It, 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 like, where is that spot? The problem is we grow up in this religious Christianity world that teaches us that what God is really looking for is people that have it all together. 
And so if I want God to work on my behalf, if I want God to work in my world, I've got to roll up my sleeves. I've got to play the part. I've got to look just right. I've got to say just the right things. I've got to get it all together. And once I have it all together, God can use it. But Jesus says, you don't have to do all the good part. Like you don't have to do all the religiosity piece. What he's saying is, where's the area of your life that lacks? Let me say it another way. Just what's in your hand? David, what's in your hand? Well, just this, this little child's sling. We can use that, David. Samson, you, you had a great run at life, and, and, and now it's, there's nothing left, but what's in your hand? You've lost your strength. You've lost your sight. What's in your hand? Just, just some pillars. We can use that, Samson. Joseph, what's in your hand? You're, you're at the bottom of a prison somewhere in Egypt, and, and it seems like everyone has forgotten you, and those that loved you rejected you. What's in your hand? He says, I, I really don't have anything other than some old forgotten dreams that God once told me. And he, I'm saying, when we go back to those places of emptiness, that's where God's glory is revealed. God uses ordinary stuff. He uses ordinary people to accomplish his great works. So he tells him, he says, fill up these empty jars. And Church, a lot of the times we get so caught up on the promises of God that we really forget that the promises of God are most often attached to the processes of God or the principles of God. You want peace in your life? It's a principle. You're, it's a principle. You set your mind on Christ. That's, that's where it comes from. So we'll pray, like, God, would you, God, would you help my, my, my whatever it is? And then God, like, provides an answer, and we're like, ah, geez, I don't think you understood me. <laughs> I was thinking a little different, right? Like, like, God, would you, would you help me in my relationship? Would you, would you help me with, with what's going on? I want my relationship to be restored. And, and God's like, great, go apologize. You're like, ah, I was thinking a little more like Alakazam. God, I need a miracle in my finances. Would you bless my finances? And God's like, yes, I'll bless your finances. I've got a principle for you. It's this. Be generous and live within your means. God, I don't think you heard me. I didn't want to write a budget. I wanted, I was thinking more paycheck. I was thinking more paycheck is what I was thinking. And God's like, no, no, no. I've got principles for you. I'm saying there are... The, the blessings of God come because of the processes of God. Yes. Yes. And he says to them, he says, draw out, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. And when the master of the feast tested the water, now become wine, read this, and did not know where it came from. Because the way we're told the story is it was this great miracle Jesus did. Can I tell you, this is the great miracle Jesus did that no one knew. It's in parentheses. It says, though the servants that had drawn the water knew. The only people that knew were the people that were the hired help for the wedding. No, no one else knew that the glory of God was just 
like the Shekinah glory of God was just showing up at this wedding in Cana. It was this miracle that we celebrate, but in the moment, they didn't even know. And the master of the feast, he called the bridegroom and he says to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the boxed wine. I'm going to have to ask for forgiveness later. I'm sorry. But you have kept the good wine until now. He does not even give credit to God. He's giving credit to great strategy. He's saying, your strategy and wedding planning is absolutely amazing. Not realizing that the hand of God has been in that moment. How many times are we completely unaware of God working in and among us to bring the joy into our lives? And we just think, oh, it was just, it was just this really neat conversation that happened. It was just this special moment we had over coffee. Not realizing that the scripture says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am in the midst of them. I'm saying it wasn't just a casual conversation. The glory of God showing up in a coffee shop somewhere. The glory of God showing up in somebody's living room area where they gather. I'm just saying it's not like we look for the miracles of God that they have to be these big, shiny, expressive magical things but here's the thing in the book of John he does not even use the word miracles because a miracle means like explosive power strength mind blown and John remember he has an argument he's making and it's not that God doesn't do miracles He's saying God does them, but he uses a different word. He uses the word signs, semenos, signs. He's saying the acts of Jesus are not about impressing us. They're they're really about pointing us towards the character of God. And in this moment, it, it says this in verse 11, This is the first of his signs, as the band would come, that Jesus did in Cana in Galilee, and he manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Remember, he manifested his glory, the glory of God revealing on earth, nobody knows it. Because the character of God is not about performing signs and wonders so that we can be amazed as the book of Mark would say. It's about pointing us to the God who from the very beginning of the world recognized it is not good for men and women to live without joy. You say, what does joy have to do with this? Well, Well, happiness is what you get when you eat a candy bar. When I, when I eat a candy bar, I, I get happy. When I eat anything after camping for three days, I'm happy. It's amazing. Psychology is telling us, the study of the brain tells us that joy is different. 
Joy is this reciprocal, this, this thing that kind of grows, but it takes two people. It's two people face to face that actually create joy. This is, this is why, Mama, with your brand new baby, you find yourself just instinctively smiling into their face all the time. Because joy comes when we're face to face, and it's like this thing that happens. The mom's getting joy, the baby's getting joy, and science tells us that actually it, it helps the baby's brain grow. The best thing you can do is smile over your baby. This is why the scripture says that God wants to make his face to shine upon you. Because there's this thing, this interaction between two people. The only way joy shows up is when you're in the presence of someone else. And it builds. And God's saying, I want to sit in front of you and smile on you. And I want you to smile back. So showing us the character of God Yes, he can perform miracles. But also, he cares enough about you. He doesn't want you to go through life lonely. He's willing to perform, the God of heaven is willing to perform a miracle at a wedding and not upstage the bride and groom simply so that people can experience human interaction and joy together. That's the kind of God I want to serve. That's the kind of God that says, I care about you deeply. I, I don't need all the accolades. I don't, and he does, he deserves all the glory, but he's showing you his character. Because the Bible says he wants your joy to be full. Remember the jars? Brimming. Brimming with joy. Would you stand with me all across the room? Jesus shows up at this wedding in Cana of Galilee as a guest, as just someone in the crowd. Maybe somebody talked to him, but they did not realize who he was. He was just a guest. And the majority of the people in the room did not even recognize when he did reveal his glory. Let me say it like this, church. Be careful what you call common. It's not just some common conversation over breakfast with someone that's struggling in life and you're speaking life into them. That's not common. The glory of God may be revealed in that moment and you'll miss it if you think it's just an ordinary moment. It's not just an ordinary moment when you forgive someone that doesn't deserve forgiveness. What's really going on is you're opening the door that allows the joy of God into your life. Like that's the moment that the presence of God, the very glory of God is being revealed in your life, not through fireworks in the sky, but through his power and his presence among people. It's not just an ordinary church service when you, you feel like God is, is moving in the moment and no one else seems to feel it but in the moment you're like God is doing something inside of me and I don't know what it is but God whatever you're doing inside of me I want you to do all of that right now it's not ordinary it's not common because the saddest thing about the story is 
The master of the wedding didn't know there was a miracle. The bride and groom, unaware. All the participants, unaware. The only people that recognize the glory of God in the moment were the people filling what was empty with what God had and his disciples. I want to tell you, lean into the things of God. Don't let those kind of moments pass you by because they're happening all around you. We live in a culture that we kind of expect God to prove himself through some great miracle and I believe in miracles I've seen miracles the book of John is telling us this that God wants to reveal himself to you through signs and that sign looks like the joy of God when people gather together Lord Jesus, God, may it never be said of us that we were present at the party with you and never recognized your authority and your power in the moment. God, may it never be said of us that we sat in the presence of the Almighty God and didn't recognize the time of your visitation. God, let it be for us like Jacob when he laid his head on the rock. And the Bible says he had a vision of angels ascending and descending from heaven. And he woke up and says, God was here and I didn't know it. But from that moment on, Jacob never let a moment with God by. He became a fighter with God, a wrestler with God. God, I pray that we would be a people marked by not letting you escape us without you showing your glory in our presence. God, I pray we'd be a people marked by your wine, by your joy. God, I pray for those right now that are struggling just to stay encouraged to make it another day. Depression has struck. Isolation is at its best. Lord Jesus, right now, would you pour out your joy? Would you use people to create a moment for your glory in their life? A healing, transformational moment. in the room right now and for you as I'm preaching what you're thinking is this what I really need the thing that's empty is me like just in I am the one that's empty of God and I need God in my life that's what I want refilled if that's you would you just put your hand up so I know who I'm talking with right now come on I see some bold hands bold people yes Listen, it's simple. It's not jumping through hoops. What we do is we repent and we believe. Repent means this. We turn away from the things in our life that we think 
we do and we say that we know don't please God. And we believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And when we do this, his blood cleanses us of all those things. He puts us in a good relationship with him. So if you just raise your hand, I want you to join me in prayer. We're just going to repent and we're going to believe. Pray something like this. God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. I'm turning away from them right now, especially the way I've thought about you. Would you forgive me? God, forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and he rose again on a third day. So right now, I'm placing all of my faith and all of my hope in Jesus alone. Say these words, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, and I will follow you every day that I live. Come on, church. There's a bunch of people that just made the best decision of their lives. That's the start towards a posture of your heart towards God that allows him to reveal his glory in your life. Around here, we like to respond with worship. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church, to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.